the night. Matt Lazowitz, and welcome back to Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman story ranking podcast, where each week my co-host and I, Will Nevin, dig into three Batman stories, discuss them, and rank them on our soon-to-be really big list, thus creating a giant list of Batman stories from best to worst. And before we go any further, let's introduce that co-host. How's it going tonight, Will? It is going fine. I am working on... Two hours sleep. I got in a good five miler. I feel this being our third episode. I'm ready to take the training wheels off and do some goddamn bits. We are going to get wild. We're going to get crazy. So, uh, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And, and, and I'll start. I'll start with the first one. And this is this is long and extended and pointless and a little crude. So let's do it. Are you familiar with the episode of South Park that involves Oprah's talking butthole and hoo-ha? Vaguely, yes. Not a huge South Park fan, but some of those episodes have made it into the general zeitgeist of things. Yeah, but the the premise was uh, they were doing a spoof on a million little pieces, James... Frey? Free? Whatever his name was? Yeah, I think Frey sounds right. Yeah, yeah. See, this is the problem with South Park. They do these episodes of the week, and then it gets like 10 years later, and you're like, what the hell was that about? But anyway, Oprah has talking body parts. One of them is named Minji. Minji. And I would like to say that the books this week were cringy. Cringy. (laughs) My God, they're... There were some rough spots. They're rough. These are very much of the 90s. These are very much trying to hit some big, heady topics. And with the limited page count and the fact that these are superhero comics. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to get into that in this week's episode. We are discussing three classic Elseworld stories. These are stories that take place in alternate universes, but not just like Marvel's What If, where it's what if the Hulk wore yellow pants instead of purple. These take a character and drop them into a different time period or do fundamental changes to the principal concept of the character feel free to disagree what I, uh, but i would say the best most classic example of an else world is red sun is that fair i would say it's either red sun or the first one we're going to get to tonight as which is not even technically an else worlds because it was before else worlds but we'll get there red sun is definitely up there I, I kingdom come but kingdom come is very different from elseworlds as it's more just a possible future story than an actual elseworlds but yeah you know in red sun you take superman and instead of landing in kansas he lands in the soviet union which one of the books tonight is very preoccupied with the idea of well gee what if superman landed somewhere else <laughs> what might happen <laughs> yes Yes, it yes it is, and yes, it does. But we'll get to that one later. We are going to start off with the first proto Elseworlds. This actually came out a couple of years before the Elseworlds banner was created, but has been when reprinted, reprinted with that Elseworlds trade dress and naming convention. The reason why DC did this Elseworlds thing, very specifically, I believe, and I probably should have actually done the research on this versus just remembering it from interviews or things I've read, had to do with Crisis on Infinite Earths and the idea that there was now only this one reality, this one Earth. So all of these other stories were no longer part of a big DC multiverse and were just really sort of shunted off to the side, more like imaginary stories of the Silver Age and Golden Age than the different Earths of the Silver Age into that Bronze Age before Crisis eliminated them. This, and this is certainly an idea. Sorry to interrupt. But this, no. is, this is an idea that DC has totally given up on now. 
Oh yeah, we're back to Infinite Earths again. We're even beyond the 52 that we got after Infinite Crisis. We're in, there's this 52, and then there's that multiverse, and we're part of an omniverse, and it's, I've gone all cross-eyed. Everything exists all the time, always. Which can, has some absolutely fun story potential, but can very easily get awkward if you're digging into that minutiae a little more and trying to explain stuff. If everything counts, then don't try to explain it. Just run with it. And it's much easier than trying to establish details because the devil is most assuredly in the details. But this first story is the seminal Gotham by Gaslight. Writer was Brian Augustin, penciled by Mike Mignola, inks by P. Craig Russell, colors by David Hornung, letters by John Workman, and edited by Mark Wade. Publication date was February of 1989. In a nutshell, description of this is Batman reset in a Gotham city of the Victorian era where he runs afoul of Jack the Ripper. That's a, a very simple description, but it's pretty much what it is. I guess in the usual, let's put in some of the the caveats about some of these older stories. In recent years, the sort of glamorization of Jack the Ripper, who was a violent serial killer who murdered sex workers, has become something that we, I mean, maybe not we, the, the grand and royal we have had to sort of reckon with. And this story while glamorization isn't probably the right word, it doesn't point out how problematic it is making a you know rock star out of a serial killer. This was the first book I read out of the three. And the first cringy moment was, uh, do we want to spoil this? Are we going to spoil this? We are, this is a 30-year-old comic. I think we can... You can read it, but we're well past spoiler territory on this one. Yeah, so, so let's take a time out. If you want to read Gotham by Gaslight, if you want to enjoy it as it was meant to be enjoyed, pause this. We'll still be here when you come back. Go read it and then you know pick up in the discussion. But anyway, we'll get more into this. But I thought the writing here was so unambitious, so... Blah. Like the the whole book is basically set up for, you know, Bruce to figure out who Jack the Ripper is. And really it establishes only one candidate and he makes an appearance early in the book. And the first moment that was like, I don't know about that. He just goes on off on this misogynistic rant about how women are property and you should be able to do with them as you please like perhaps that a a certain former president, similar words that he might've said. And I was like, wow, this reads really terribly. But then it makes sense in the end that, oh, he was also killing women as well. I guess the misogyny tracks. It absolutely does. But you're, you're right. He is really the only suspect and his name is Jacob. It's, it's a pretty easy one-to-one. There is a brief cameo by Prince Albert Victor and his hulking doctor who, I mean, Albert Victor is one of the Ripper suspects, a highly specious one that there is evidence of his, where he was. So he really couldn't have been the Ripper, but the the surgeon would have been William Gull, who was the suspect that Alan Moore put forth in From Hell. But that's more a nod to, I think, if it's not a nod to From Hell, it's just a nod to, you know, the general Ripper concepts. Jacob Hacker is really the only suspect. It's that bit from any television mystery series where the one name guest star or the one person who you've never seen before who's introduced at the beginning of the episode is clearly going to be the killer. Jacob Packer, as played by Stephen Colbert. (laughs) Oh, shit, it's him. Packer is like Bruce's well-meaning, rough-around-the-edges, bumbling uncle who also represents him at trial. Is that... Did I have that right? Yes, you do indeed. Uh, Because 
you just get your uncle to represent you, I guess, uncle slash friend of the family. And it turns out that he has hated the Wayans for generations. And he, he made a pass at Martha once and she rejected him. And that set him down on this path of misogyny and murder. And it all, that all of that comes together in like two pages and it's just, ugh, ugh. it's interesting because it's again, I haven't read this book in years and I remembered it being a much more sweeping story with more Batman and more stuff in the middle. But really you get a couple of Batman scenes and you get this whole bit with Bruce on trial for being the Ripper because he's framed by Jacob Packer to be the Ripper. And then he breaks out and he tracks him down. It's a very A to B to C. There isn't a ton of atmosphere in the story this would be a completely forgotten story if it had a different artist on it this is and and who is that artist again that artist is mike mignola Uh, i've never heard of him before ah mike mignola best known as the creator of hellboy oh mike mignola gotcha gotcha yeah again this is the thing we always you know pronunciation is always tricky and well might be right i'm right but it's that guy This is very early in his career. Uh, At this point, he's really just done a bunch of fill-in issues at Marvel and the Cosmic Odyssey miniseries with Jim Starlin from DC. Cosmic Odyssey, Gotham by Gaslight, and the Wolverine Jungle Adventure with Walt Simonson were sort of the things that made Mignola blow up before he started Hellboy. Within the next couple of years from when Gotham by Gaslight was released... The art definitely carries this. The vibe, the ideas, more so than the expression in the writing. It is interesting to look at this because the P. Craig Russell, who does the inks on this, has a very different style than Mignola. And so if you look at it versus a Hellboy or something, the, the faces are a little smoother, a little cleaner than the more angular Hellboy expressions. And that is absolutely russell's influence on mignola's art it's so gorgeous and it's still very much a mignola book it's it doesn't look like a pre-craig russell comic but it has a feel that is somewhere in between it's it's, you know 75 25 so it's interesting to see this as early in mignola's career when you know he wasn't such a big name that no one would think to refine his work because he wasn't the guy who created Hellboy at this point. I don't know what version of it that uh, that you read, but I read this like extended edition that has like Gotham by Gaslight and uh, Master of the Future. Yes, the question sequel. mark. Yep, Master of the um, Future. I took a couple of glances at that, and it did not look anything like this in terms of visual quality no. uh, but the, the the introduction was really fascinating because it basically closed or the idea was oh, how this book came together like you know we were trying to pitch this annual and we had this idea we took it to an editor and they said oh wow don't waste that on an annual like do a you know do a graphic novel of it see if you can find an artist <laughs> and like <laughs> they don't spend any time talking about the artist who was clearly the big story here it is visually so interesting and mignola draws that world of this victorian gotham with this level of dirt and this tactile feeling that an artist like him absolutely would pull off the sequel is eduardo barreto who draws a book that we'll be talking about later today and whose art is a lot cleaner a lot more traditionally superhero so it doesn't have that same victorian vibe to it yeah it's just it's hard to know what to make of this because you know i mentioned earlier i I found it just to be so ambitious like you're going to do a victorian era batman and okay we're going to match him up with jack the ripper uh, somehow we're going to make references to Holmes, but we're not actually going to show them together, which seems to be a much more interesting story. We're going to create a Joker, Gotham by Gaslight, feature him on a panel, yep. one single flipping panel. Mm-hmm. And 
That story is much more interesting to me because this whole Ripper connection feels forced as hell. Harvey Dent shows up for one panel. The, the Gotham District Attorney and the one lines, I thought Harvey and I were friends. There, there's yeah, no hints it. that there's no more to it than that. It's much more of an Easter egg than an actual part of the story. I, mean, I got a kick out of the fact that the Holmes reference comes from Sigmund Freud, which is referencing the classic novel film Holmes Pastiche, The 7% Solution. But again, that's, that is a reference for a Holmes nerd like me. That's not something that is there for the mass Batman audience. But it was nice to see Teddy Roosevelt in the book. I enjoyed yes. that. Yes. Oh, yeah. This has some really neat little Easter eggs to it. But it's, it's a book that exists almost solely on its art. It also has something, and something we will talk about in the next story as well, that I dislike in any version of Batman's origin, whether it's an Elseworlds or in sometimes when they've done it in the DC universe. I hate it when the Wayne's murder has a reason behind it, when it's a conspiracy or a hit or whatever. No, the whole reason you get a Batman is because it's street crime, because it's random. If it has a reason, then Bruce, in the end, has someone he can stop. And once he's stopped that person, once he's gotten justice for his parents, then he can safely give up being Batman. When it is just Joe Chill killing the Waynes because he was a criminal, he was poor, it was society, whatever that is, then Bruce's fight isn't with one conspiratorial body or one depraved maniac who wanted revenge on Martha Wayne for laughing at him, which I will have to admit from everything we know of Martha Wayne and other iterations is probably in this guy's head. Oh, definitely. Yeah. This guy was, he's constantly about how Martha laughed at him. And then every woman he's killed after is Martha laughing at him again. He's just, that's his, psychosis. Batman's war has to be with crime itself, not with a person. And it always bothers me when that's the way it is. It's handled a little differently in one of the other stories, and we'll get to that, because there at least it's society as a whole that's causing it. So there is at least a little more flexibility in that idea. But here it's just, yeah, your your mom wouldn't sleep with me so i hired a guy to kill them that's yes yeah. <laughs> and then i began killing women myself yeah it's <laughs> the fact that he didn't have a mustache that was turned up so he could twirl it when giving his villain speech i mean but i guess they didn't have the those those mustaches it was really mutton chops at this period so uh, as we're wrapping up here, I, w- I want to point out how strange it is to me that all of these books, more or less 50 pages, all of them take time out to do the murder. And I'm just like, you don't have a ton of pages here to build this world. Can't you just assume that the murder plays out, Bruce becomes the bat and just show him as the fucking bat? Like that's probably... Gotham by Gaslight's greatest sin is that it's a Batman book without Batman. Yeah, it's if it's 50 pages, Batman is in tops 20, probably closer to 15. And he's not doing any detective work. He's not doing any cool Batman shit. He just looks cool, which is, you know, it's something, but it's not a lot. Yeah, this isn't really a mystery. The, the, no. the big clue that he gets isn't something that you could follow through. It's it's like, oh, he notices this thing, but as the reader didn't see this before he does, there's no through line to track the mystery. The mystery is there, but it's not a detective story. That's the thing. You don't have, it doesn't play fair. One thing that is interesting, and we won't discuss it too much because this is a newer work, probably within the past four or five years, the animated 
adaptation of this just takes that core concept, the Batman versus Jack the Ripper, and goes in a completely different direction with it. The Ripper Ooh. is not... Jacob Packer doesn't exist. The Ripper is an existing character in the Batman mythos. It's The animation does have hints of Mignola without it being a slavish sort of, we're going to make this look like Mignola moving because I don't know how well that would work necessarily. There are more Batman characters in the, the, the story. And I mean, it includes Leslie Tompkins and Selena Kyle and Harvey Dent has a much bigger role in it. I'm sure without giving it away, there will be people who would be bothered, would be bothered by who the killer winds up being because it is a traditionally heroic character who is broken by their time in the Civil War, which gives more of a reason behind it. But it's an interesting film and this made me want to go back and read it. There's a, the, the final battle is a big set piece piece in the World's Fair with like a fire and a Ferris wheel. And it, it takes that concept and it really blows it wide. Well, goddamn, that sounds like a much more interesting story. Why the fuck doesn't I read that? <laughs> you know, someday we will be, maybe for when we you know, get the Patreon up, we will start looking at some of the animated Batman stuff for Patreon bonus content. So... You know, once I get the Patreon up, folks, uh, you know, you want to hear us talk more about this, support us on Patreon. I, I want I want a comic book adaptation of that. Wow, that sounds really cool. Yeah, I'm even more mad at this book now. <laughs> uh, the one last piece, and we'll make this quick, but it's one something I want to touch on with each of these since they're all these reimaginings. What did we think of the Batman costume in this book? Let me Let me pull it up real quick. And I'll let you talk about it. Sure. I mean, I think this one works for the time. It would have been, I guess, possible to do something more spandexy and more superhero-y, but giving it a bulk, giving it this sort of mantled cape works for the period, and it works with Mignola's art style. Gotham by Gaslight has been revisited a bunch. It's now one of the worlds in the 52. So we've seen a lot of other artists do stuff with it. And it never looks quite as good as it does with anyone other than Mignola drawing. It's a very basic take. There, there's, there's nothing fancy. There, there's nothing, say, steampunk about it. It's, it's basically a duster and a belt and a hardy kind of leather mask. I like it. It's, it's, it's clean for what yes. they're trying to do. Yes. It, it works with the period and it doesn't try to add a whole bunch of crazy bells and whistles. So let us now put this on our currently not quite big, but we're going to get their list. For those just joining us, we'll actually be able to go through everything on the list because there's only six stories. Number one is currently Batman Year One, followed by some of these days, Batman Volume 3, Annual 2, followed by The Dark Knight Returns, then Zero Year, The Case of the Chemical Syndicate, the very first Batman story, and then Batman number 300's The Last Batman Story. So where do we think this one's going to go. It's it's not in the last spot. It's still better than the last Batman story. If just for, you know, the Mignola art. It allows this a lot of benefit of the doubt for me. This is, of course, time to put it on the big board! Whoa. And I like it at five. But that's that's me. After Zero Year and above Case the Chemical Syndicate because the story here just makes me mad. It's so lazy. Urgh. I can absolutely go with that as a spot. In case of the Chemical Syndicate is a very basic story. It's not the best Golden Age Batman we're going to be talking about, but it's still the first Batman story. But this at least has some really cool visuals. And boy, howdy, I really want a story with that Victorian era Joker that Mignola draws for one panel and looks absolutely fucking creepy. We've got some weird Jokers tonight. Let me let me say that. Oh, do we ever. But we'll be getting to that story a little bit later in our third installment, because second, 
we have what is the first official Elseworlds book, the first book bannered with Elseworlds, which is Batman Holy Terror, uh, written by Alan Brenner, with art by Norm Brayfogle, colors by Laverne Kinzierski, letters by Bill Oakley, and edited by Denny O'Neill and Kelly Puckett. This one was published in November of 1991. Both Brennert and Brayfogle have quite a history with Batman. Brennert has written, had written only a handful of Batman stories, but they're all these sort of interesting Brave and the Bolds that have a lot of you know, history behind them. And Brayfogle is one of the Batman artists of the 90s. He's one of the first Batman artists that I ever encountered and is the co-creator on a bunch of major latter-day bat villains uh the ventriloquist and scarface zazz anarchy Ratcatcher, cornelius stirk these were all characters that he co-created with alan grant in his runs on detective comics batman and batman shadow of the bat uh he also worked with denny o'neill on the final of o'neill's uh rachel ghoul graphic novel trilogy birth of the demon i really am a sucker for some Norm Bray Fogle art. Matt, we're, we're good friends. We've been working together for a while now. Let's spice things up and do some role play. <laughs> I, want, I want you to pitch me, a DC editor, this book. So pitch me this book. Okay. <laughs> so the, the basic major change in history that sets this whole thing off is that Oliver Cromwell you know, the guy who overthrew the British monarchy in the 1600s didn't die when he did. So he ruled for years longer, which somehow caused the American Revolution not to happen and thus allowed the Anglican Church, although it's never addressed the Anglican Church, just some sort of Protestant church to rule America in a theocracy. And Bruce Wayne's parents were killed by the forces of the church which bruce eventually discovers and becomes batman to overthrow the church and defend his parents or avenge his parents get the fuck out of my office (laughs) (laughs) you know this is one again i read when this first came out i was 11 years old i didn't get it then no no no, you can't read this at 11. No, I really, really didn't get what was going on. I remember the art being really cool. And I remember, you know, a couple of those, the, the big shock moments, some of the, the cameos. But I, reading it now, I was like, wait, Cromwell? Really? <laughs> I, 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 I took three semesters of English history in college. Because my undergrad degree is English literature with a focus in Shakespearean studies and theater with a uh, focus in theater history. So understanding British history gave a lot of that more resonance. But now you read this at 11. Yeah, I had no fucking clue what was going on. (laughs) And there's a lot of, yes, Cromwell, it was a whole Protestant Reformation thing. But there's a lot of leaps of logic in here that. I was like, wow, that's, wow, where did that come from in this thing? It also has the cardinal sin of many, many in Elseworlds. This is supposed to be a Batman story, but let's jam in as many cameos of random DC characters throughout and for what it's worth, I mean, Brenner sure does build a world here. There's more world building to this than there was with Gotham by Gaslight, which was just very much, hey, it's, you know, Victorian England, except it's Victorian America and it's Gotham. I, I feel like Brenner had this, writ, wrote this Bible for this about all the, the way that history and the way the society worked, but you've got a big appearance by Dr. Charles McKnighter, the golden age Dr. Midnight, who references all the Justice League, Justice Society, excuse me. And then Bruce goes into the 
underground lair of the, the star chamber, the, the church's inquisition, and just runs afoul of all of these imprisoned DCU characters who have a lot of cameos. And somehow he decides that the, the big mad scientific bad is Dr. Sol Ordell, a guy who has literally appeared within continuity of DC Comics in one one story and it's just been retold a bunch because he's the dude who created the machine that summoned john jones to teleported the martian manhunter to earth that is his claim to fame and they uh they make a point of noting that he is jewish which is cringy yeah especially when it's something that there could have been something interesting there about the church converting people but instead He's just this sort of moi, ha, yes. Well, they offered me the free reign to do all of my horrible experiments, so sure, why not? I, I was bored. I, I wanted to do some experiment then. What can I say? Yeah, um, that is, oh boy. So Gotham by Gaslight, as we talked about, as I have talked about, doesn't do enough with this world. Holy Terror tries to do so much, so much. And I, I can't fault kind of the ambition, but a lot of this stuff is bizarre. Like, I, I get the, the sort of alternate world idea, but you're going way too deep into English history for most American readers. And I think that this idea is more interesting if he's doing it in... Victorian England <laughs> like why why do this book in the future like that, that that doesn't make any sense to me like you know what if Bruce is an agent of the Anglican Church in whatever appropriate period that would be you know right after the English Civil War that would be an interesting book to me this too is interesting but interesting in some weird weird ways as I said I tend to not like it when the Wayne's murder is a conspiracy or an assassination. This is at least, it feels like it works a little better because they're killed by the prevailing society. It's not like Bruce can't, and it very much by the end goes to give this whole speech to the grand inquisitor the head of the star chamber the high priest or whatever he's called that this was society that killed the waynes so it gives bruce more than a person to fight he has to fight the system this is bruce as revolutionary by the end and and, and I'll, I'll say too that i thought it was interesting at least that the waynes are framed as these crusaders and basically sexual politics uh for for whatever reason this you know anglicized america of the future is incredibly conservative so transgenders so, so, are, are, are transgender people are attacked uh homosexuality is illegal uh and the wayans are basically operating these this clinic for these people even as they are members of quote you know right society and the star chamber uh executes them for operating that clinic, which I thought is an interesting twist on Thomas and Martha. Yes, it gives the Waynes much more personality than they're often given. And it plays up the fact that they are usually presented as these social crusaders, but we rarely get to see that because they are absolutely plot devices. They, the Waynes are rarely characters. So this does make for a much more interesting take on the Waynes. It almost immediately writes out both Alfred and Jim Gordon, which was an odd choice. I'm not sure if that was just for page space or not, but it's it, it was an odd choice to not have Alfred and have Jim Gordon be there just like, yeah, so I never told you, but your parents... Yeah, they were assassinated. I, I just I never told you about that, despite me being the investigator on it. I know you're just about to become a priest and have built your whole life around this, but you know, maybe I should have told you before you decided to become a man of the cloth. Sorry. 
My bad. Bruce calls him on it that this is much more about appeasing his guilt than doing anything else, which it absolutely is. But that's never dealt with. Gordon just walks off panel after that, and we never see him again. I, I do have to add, by the way, and the, the deepest of cuts in this, the bishop who Bruce serves under is Judson Caspian, who is the pre-Batman vigilante, the Reaper from Batman year two. That is an incredibly Whoa. deep cut that you have to be me to really pick up. But it was like, oh, well, that's a, that's a neat little note. Let me ask you a random question. Sure. Uh, because uh, Zatanna was in this book. Um, am I the only person, whenever she pops up, my reading grinds to a halt because my brain has to read her spells and I have to decipher what they are. I can't just accept what they are or look to the to the panel as to what she's doing. I have to sit there and think, okay, that okay, that is that is back backward, and then uh, hand backward, and it just I can't believe like I can't read her as a character without having to do that. And I wish I didn't. For me, it it took me years to be able to easily read that stuff backwards. I've developed the ability to now just look at those panels and read backwards, which is only useful when reading Zatanna or doing word searches where the words can appear backwards. <laughs> it is a yet another of my completely useless skills in polite society. But yeah, I would not be surprised if you are far from the only person who runs across that as an issue and it used to bug the hell out of me. One of the other things about this that kind of bugs me, and it's something that I've seen specifically referenced while doing my intense marathon binge of one of our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom, the X-Men podcast from Zach Jenkins and Adam Reck. When they have done stories about Nightcrawler and the church and religion, the amount of biblical quotations in general, when you're doing religious stories in comics are intense. And in this one, it's like, yeah, it's a theocracy. And I can see some of the times with the priests quoting religion to each other. But good God, there's a lot of Bible in this book. Like a lot of biblical quotations here. And I don't think they really kind of unpack any of these ideas. Like they, I think at some point they vaguely mentioned like, okay, um, you know, you should follow what you believe to be your God and not the people on earth who tell you who God is like, you know, basically, you know, the reformation type stuff, but there's never any moment where Bruce really reckons with these ideas. This guy who has, you know, been brought up in the church becomes an agent of the church, an agent of the system. And we'll get into this in the next story where we have like this total change in character that happens over a page or two. I don't think Bruce really kind of sits with this idea that, oh, I have been perpetuating this system. And what does it mean for not only for the people, but for my eternal soul? It's just, it's weird. Yeah. Again, this book is a lot of big, big, interesting ideas, none of which get fleshed out. This would have worked better as a miniseries where you could have spent more time which eat with each of these ideas, but trying to cram it into 50-ish pages meant that not any of the ideas were developed enough. And instead you got a whole bunch of like, oh, well, isn't this cool? Hey, here's Barry Allen. Oh, wait, and, and, and here's Aquaman. And here's Zatanna. And here's Metamorpho. And here's Clayface. And here's the guy who brought Martian Manhunter to Earth, but he didn't in this world. And we're going to reference Laurie Lamaris, Superman's mermaid girlfriend. And yeah, the Green Man, which, you know, uh, that could have been Green Lantern, but nope, it's Superman. And he's dead. And uh, uh, at dead and on a cross, by the way, which oh. was so, so heavy handed. Yes, that was like. Zack Snyder looked at that and says, damn, that's a little too obvious. And Bruce's looking at him and, you know, feel the death of hope from someone he'd never met. I mean, I understand the, 
that you know that's what superman is superman is hope but again it's a really heavy-handed moment in a book that has a lot of heavy-handed moments but it's awful pretty it is and it it takes some chances and it does it has some ambition and i i think we're going to redo this as a black label uh maxi series and we're going to get some back matter essays from british historians and church scholars and other people yeah i kind of wish i had i'd held this one back for when we can get a fellow comics xf writer robert secundus on the oh, show. that would be good. Yeah. Uh, Rob, I, if you hear this, you would have been really good on this. Yeah, I have some, you know, religious themed Batman stories for a time when we can get Rob, but it was like, oh, th- uh, why did I pick this one now? There are so many other Elseworlds. This one would have been been a good one. Again, there might be bonus content someday where we, we have Rob read this and we talk to him about it. So one last one last point about the art. There's one panel on the fourth or the fifth from the last page at the very end where Bruce is shedding his priestly raiments and the Batman costume is under it. And he's got this halo of light behind him. That is just a panel that it's it's a heavy handed panel, but it's one of those images that just stuck in my head from when I read this book 30 years ago. It's just a really strong visual. And now back to the same question we asked at the end of Gotham by Gaslight. What do we feel about the costume in this one? So I like how the costume works in the traditional priest collar, but the rest of this is garbage. It's a very busy costume. I, I tend to prefer a Batman costume that is simpler and the bat the bat design on this is big. The belt is weirdly angled and kind of clunky. Uh, I do agree that the collar is neat, but that's, that is the one defining aspect of this costume. And it's, it's not the best Batman costume by any stretch of the imagination. This world, by the way, not one of the 52. <laughs> this world has never been revisited. There, is no, there are no sequels. There is no revisitation. So where is this one going to go on the list? Time to put it on the big board. In relation to Gotham by Gaslight, it is more ambitious. But does that help it or hinder it against the more streamlined Gotham by Gaslight? You know, I tell my writing students... I, I admire those monkeys who go off into space. They might not live. They might not do anything with the, when they're up there, but God damn it, they try. And I appreciate trying. I am inclined. I am inclined, but I, I, I want to hear you out on this. I am inclined to put it above Gotham by Gaslight simply because it does interesting things, whereas Gotham by Gaslight's like, duh, we'll just do Jack the Ripper. Here. I, I can agree with that. I think I, I agree. I love a big swing. I think when this book works, it works well. And as I said, I'm a sucker for that Bray Fogel art. So I think this is now number five, pushing Gotham by Gaslight down to number six. Now, for our final story, this one is probably the most traditional of the three stories that we're doing here traditional in the it's the most superheroic and the most grounded in a world that readers would easily understand and would not need any historical reference for uh this is superman speeding bullets yes you heard right superman we'll explain why in a second the writer on this is jm dematis Art from Eduardo Barreto, colors from Lee Dorscheid, letters. I do not have the letterer because the digital version removes the credits page, and or at least the digital version that I had did not have a credits page. And that's lame. Yeah, and Wikipedia and the DC Wiki do not have a letterer listed. I'm sure there's a letterer. If you were the letterer or have a handy physical copy of this book please let me know who the letterer is because i'd be curious and i would have to dig out my physical copy which is somewhere in my collection that i do not have easy access to right now the editor is mike carlin and it was published november of 1993 
So two years after Holy Terror. Basic concept on this is, is pretty simple. What if Thomas and Martha Wayne found the baby Kal-El and raised him as Bruce Wayne? This is the closest to a traditional Marvel style what if story of these three. And one of the more traditional what if style stories that came out of Elseworlds. The other one being Batman and Dark Knight, which was what if Bruce Wayne got a Green Lantern ring? We'll get to that someday. That one, I, I remember really liking it, but I'm beginning to worry that remember really liking something and then revisiting <laughs> it 20, 30 years later might not always be the best answer to things. But yeah, so speeding bullets. Uh, oh, and one other note we'll have here. When they adopt the baby, they name him Bruce. So he is Bruce Wayne, despite being Superman. So any reference to Bruce in here is Superman or Kal-El going by the name Bruce Wayne. So try not to get confused that this is not the biological son of Martha Wayne. There isn't a biological son of Thomas and Martha Wayne. Their kid was Kal-El, who is going by Bruce Wayne. But man, if you wanted to do a sequel to this uh, or, or, or revisit or some kind of different idea, what if there was a biological child and he had some real simple, uh, sibling uh, envy and he became, I don't know, somebody interesting? Yeah, there's a lot of, again, all of these series, stories had a lot of potential to them. The execution is where we run into some problems. I mean, I think a lot of this book wanted to be about nature versus nurture. I don't know how much of it really is there in it. Anytime where you drop Superman into another setting, be it Red Sun, be it this, be it, I believe it's the dark side where he winds up on Apocalypse, are all about nature versus nurture in the end. No matter who raises Kal-El, is he going to wind up being Superman in the end? Or is it Jonathan and Martha Kent who make him Superman? And that is dealt with a little bit here, but not as much as I probably would have liked. And when this problem is resolved, and, and by problem, I'm, Batman in this book is violent, petulant, mean, nasty. And everyone around him sees it. And Lois Lane, and before we go any farther, like most of the Superman characters are involved in this book. Like the, you know, the ancillary supporting characters for Superman are here like Lois. Lois in some of her narration, like immediately sees it. Like, I, I think she might call him specifically a psychopath. Yeah. And like, you, you named it. Good. I'm glad there was a reasonable voice in this book who pointed that out. But this psychotic version of Super Batman is redeemed. And you know, I had mentioned this earlier. He's redeemed by the end of the story. And there's, there's no growth process. And I, again, I understand it's 50 pages. It's hard to accomplish that. But the ending to the story is just too neat, too tidy, and we get to it in a real big hurry. So I liked this idea of examining what happens if, if there is no Ma and Pa Kent. And I think you have this a Batman that turns out like this. But what I think this they didn't do well is that you have a Bruce who is basically Clark and that he, the Bruce is still affable and, and still great and still charming and still a klutz. And I, I, he should not be that good, right? He should either know how to basically act as Batman act to, to be this, you know, the, the vigilante for the city, or he should be in, uh, unable to function as Clark. Like there needs to be something that ties these two parts of him together and they're totally disconnected and they're disconnected for no reason that I can tell. Like 
Bruce Wayne should be a total mess if Batman is also a total mess. It's interesting that after the death of the Waynes, Bruce Clark, Cal- I'm just going to go on with Cal Alex because it's just the easiest signifier and it's not going to lead to weird disambiguation with the characters. Kellel shuts himself up in the mansion. He doesn't do the globetrotting training that Bruce does, or frankly, that Clark does after he leaves Smallville and before he goes to Metropolis. He shuts himself away. And that's an interesting idea because it, it sits back and it's like, okay, would Bruce have become this petulant ball of rage if he hadn't channeled himself into becoming Batman and gone on that training and used that to learn to control his rage. But that isn't really explored. He brutally kills Joe Chill, not intentionally. And Joe Chill is considerably more violent. This is a very violent story. And Joe Chill is pistol whipping Thomas Wayne. And he's not just, you know, give me the pearls. The pearls break. Thomas reaches for him and he shoots them. He's gleeful in how he's murdering the Waynes. And he tries to kill Kal-El. He tries to shoot him and the bullets, he's Superman, so the bullets bounce right off of him. But generally speaking, Joe Chill is always too much of a coward to try to kill Bruce in most continuities. So here, he's a much more violent character, and so you can't necessarily fault Clark for instinctually firing off his heat vision and burning Joe Chill, but it adds an aspect of not just the survivor's guilt that Bruce normally has, but guilt over his violence and a degree of self-punishment in that shutting himself away, even if he doesn't consciously remember what he did. And again, these are interesting concepts that aren't really explored because he goes from the murder of the Waynes to he's been shut up in Wayne Manor for 20 years. And then there is kind of a, a strangely off note section later on in the story where adult Bruce comes to this realization that I could have stopped the murder. I remember you surely you did not forget burning a guy's face off. You that seems like a thing that you should have put together earlier. And and I will say thematically this reminded me of the metal backstory behind the the Bruce Wayne who became Green Lantern slash Green Lantern Batman because the Waynes are killed and then immediately Bruce is given a, a ring and then he, you know, he kills Joe Chill and becomes like this, again, petulant, murderous, teen Green Lantern Batman. There's, there is an interesting thing there where it, it does indicate in both of those that a Bruce with powers is a scary thing and he needs to have spent time learning to channel that rage before he becomes Batman or the Batman you're going to get is not a Batman you want to get. There are some interesting little notes, again, without the, the Kents to help him understand it or what probably would have happened with his training. He never completely controls, at least early on, those the super senses. So they're constantly plaguing him and again an interesting idea that is dealt with in two or three panels and then not referenced again i do like that lois is the narrator of this book because you wouldn't have wanted to read this book if this version of bat superman was the narrator because he's a petulant psychopath and the only like when i first started reading it it was like oh I bet this is Alfred. And then you got a few pages like, no, no, they're talking about Alfred in the third person. You know, anyone who's talking about, you know, Batman is you know, the great, the greatest hero I've known. It's like, that's usually Alfred who speaks about Bruce in such reverent tones. But what you realize is not like, oh, wait, but in the long run, this is Superman. So who would speak of Superman in such a way other than Lois Lane, who falls in love with 
charming, bumbling Bruce before realizing that he's Batman. Oh, I just, I just knew he was Batman in my soul, even though I found Batman to be, again, a psychopath. Yeah. I, just, I just knew it was Bruce. And, which is, I guess, I don't know if it's better or worse than the classic Silver St. Cloud Oh no, I knew you were Batman, Bruce. I spent all that time looking at that chin. If there's, if there's <laughs> one note from that, that uh, Steve Englehart, Marshall Rogers, tremendous, you know, eight issue run on Detective that always struck me as weird. It's that Silver Saint, it's like, I knew you by your chin. Okay, that's something. They've known each other for a few weeks. I, I'm pretty sure, I guess, after 15 years, I could recognize my wife's chin if you lined up a bunch of chins but it's not the first not the the body part you spend a lot of time staring at to remember but you know hey i'm not gonna yuck silver st cloud's yum if chins are her <laughs> thing good, good for her oh let me let me quickly google some not safe for work chin porn so i i mentioned this earlier the one thing that was probably the most fascinating part about this book and I will say made me physically uncomfortable is when Lex Luthor is revealed to be Joker. Yes. Now, now let, let, let me, let me be clear on this point. I am a fucking idiot. I am reading this book. There are these little things about, Oh, Luther had this chemical accident and uh, you know, but he's doing well. He, he, he moved after the accident to, to here to Gotham and he's, he's doing he's doing great he's putting his life back together like they mentioned this accident repeatedly and i'm like oh i i don't know what that's about that's 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 for no reason and then it hits me when he basically he you know he does the jack nicholson he wipes off the the you know the the skin tone paint and he reveals himself to be joker and i'm like will you are stupid as fuck why did you not pick up on that but yeah, Luther as Joker was a revelation. It was an uncomfortable thing to look at and to read. And it was the Joker like right in tone, like a psychopath who's like got these gleeful little one-liners and, and just, he is unsettling. And to see that in like the Lex Luther body, like my brain didn't know how to process that. It is the most obvious choice for a villain here. Which is not, a, that's not a condemnation, but it's like, if you're combining Batman and Superman, then logically you're gonna combine the Joker and Luthor. It only makes sense. And you mentioned the Jack Nicholson of it all. Some of the final sequence of this has some real 89 vibes. Luthor's obsession with Lois Lane in the Vicky Vale role, the assault on Gotham City by his army of mercenary thugs. I can't imagine that it was completely unintentional to be riffing on 89 only a few years later when doing this story. And it's very much like the outfit where, you know, 89 does that bit where it's, oh, it's, you know, Nicholson's you know actual face but you know you rub it off and it's that you know it's that that chemical albinism underneath that, that had to be intentional absolutely yeah, I, had to be I cannot imagine it wasn't and it's neat and it's an interesting combination depending on how the Joker is written or how they're choosing to play him he is often somewhat of a genius at least when it comes to chemistry because in some versions he creates the joker venom in some version he steals the formula for it but giving the joker the intellect of lex luthor is a really interesting and terrifying concept that again i would have liked to have spent a little more time with luthor doing something truly elaborate and terrifyingly joker with his madness and luther explaining the reason behind his transformation i i let me see if i can pull this up was just like wow this is this is really creepy i don't know if i if i love it or i hate it i was so depressed lost interest in my business money power it all meant nothing to me 
For months, I sat around like a lump, eating too much and watching endless hours of television. Believe me, there's just so much Wheel of Fortune a man can take. Anyway, as time passed, I began to understand what had happened, see it as a new light, not as an ending, but a beginning. You know better than most how long I'd worn an uncomfortable mask of respectability while my true self hid in the shadows, manipulating and maneuvering. Not anymore. And, and, and that last line is, is, is him singing. Oh, by the way, he says all of that while wearing a, uh, a helicopter propeller on his back. And carrying um, Lois Lane through the skies. Yeah, like just so fucking nut. I, more of that, less of whiny Bat Bruce. Yeah, I think that I would have liked to have spent more time with Joker Luthor. Lois is well written here. Lois is very much the Lois Lane that I like. She's, she's tough and she's smart and she's crusading. I don't tend to like a psychotic Batman. And this is one of the more psychotic Batmans that you're going to run across. And there's a lot of, I was trying to figure out, is he killing people or is he just really maiming them? There's got to be some casualties here. The bar is set so low for this guy. Like we're all supposed to be impressed when he doesn't kill Luther. That's, that's his big moment of growth. Like, Aw, you didn't murder a guy. Look at you. Aw. And it's, hey, I got no problem with, you know, the idea that the love of a good woman can save a man. But I would have liked to have spent some more time with the relationship between Lois and Bruce Clark to get that. Or more of her. So her just saying, boy, I think you're, Batman is a psychopath made him really, I got to go home and rethink my life now. (laughs) I would have liked more time spent with that. The idea is certainly that Lois somehow, some way taught him how to be a man. Not to, not too much into the patriarchy for that, but that's, that's the theme here, but we don't ever see any of that. And also we don't get an explanation of why Alfred did such a shit job. In every other story, like Alfred's good. Like Alfred is able to raise this dysfunctional billionaire sire into a guy who just wants to dress up at night and beat up people instead of kill them. Maybe there's the idea that he also feels isolated and alone because of the the stereotypical like superman alien feelings but that idea is never really sufficiently explored we don't see you know alfred trying and failing in this parental role but yet lois again succeeds in the space of a couple of pages yeah last time for this question at least in this episode what do we think of this version of the batman costume This one is the closest to the traditional Batman outfit, with the exception of a modified Batman symbol. Again, this weird, very 90s sort of triangular tilted belt. And it has a full face mask, which I can't 100% figure out why this version decided to have the complete face mask. Soups ain't got to breathe, man. Yeah, and there's also an odd variant of the Superman costume on the last page when, by the way, at the end, after he redeems himself, he stops being Batman and becomes Superman. Wah, wah, wah. Which kind of bugs me in a, a way that it's like, yeah, you know, you can't have a Batman who's well-adjusted and being hopeful and trying to bring hope to people. He's got to become Superman for that. Yeah, the the whole idea seemed to be like, basically like, ah, shit, I fucking ruined this superhero idea. Let me fucking throw this away, come up with something new. I'll be a super man. Yes, that that shall be my new identity. And I'll have a really cool 90s head sock. Because this one, I'm having no face because I had all the face on the Batman costume. But I also wanted to keep my hair up. Yeah, keep the hair out of your eyes. Now, you know, if Mullet Superman had done that, you know, that would have made sense. So now 
Well, let's, as you said, put it on the big board. So, again, this isn't going to crack that top four. This isn't going to go beyond zero year. Exactly where I'm thinking. So is it then, does this beat Holy Terror? This is, uh, once again, bat chat agreement hour. I have been struggling with this question. Putting them on there, I, I pretty soon figured out that, okay, these three are going to be grouped together. Holy Terror has the ambition. Gaslight has the art. I think Speeding Bullets has the overall readability. And again, Joker Luther made me physically uncomfortable. I cannot believe what an amazing character that is. Despite the problems of the Batman, it is the cleanest of these stories. It's the most direct. It's Jam Dematis, Dematis again. I think it's, I always pronounce it Dematis, but I've heard it pronounced Dematis on a few other podcasts. So I'm going to kind of run with that. Dematis is a legend. I mean, this is a guy who's been writing comics for 40 plus years and still puts out a good book to this day. Eduardo Barreto is a very clean superhero artist. If you want really nice superhero art, he's a great choice. Uh, he, He does a good Gotham. He does recognizable versions of these characters. So I think this probably is going to be the top of these three stories. I'm sitting here nodding like an idiot. That's that's ultimately what I came with. But in if we're going to be honest, they are the, the grouping here is a tight one. These stories are not perfect. They each have their moments, but I think in this little cluster we got we got this one right. I'm I'm pretty happy with this. I'm curious to see as we go forward how this cluster will will it remain a cluster or are we going to see things break it up? We get another flawed high concept story that falls in between speeding bullets and holy terror or something with great art but a story that leaves us kind of flat that is stronger story-wise than Gotham by Gaslight? Or is this going to be, you know, is this going to be the Elseworlds segment of the list where a bunch of Elseworlds <laughs> wind up? I mean, I think the the one other Elseworlds that we already have a place for in upcoming episodes is going to wind up higher than this because it has, without giving it away too much, it has a stronger, very strong art, and it has a pretty well defined world and an interesting story to it it's red rain i'll spoil it yeah it it will come back halloween for our halloween themed episode that will feature red rain can't wait i am fucking pumped i'm so amped but that looks like the end of another episode thanks everybody for listening if you want to hear more of my ramblings uh, mostly about the three C's, comics, cinema, and my cats. You can follow me on Twitter at MattLaz1013. Will, where can people follow you online? I am on Twitter at Will Nevin. Uh, and be sure to visit ComicsXF for our weekly Friday Bat Chat Roundup of new Bat books and all the other stuff that Will and I are writing. You can go to ComicsXF.com or uh, ComicsXF on Twitter. Seems like we're good for the night, Will? I believe so. Excellent. So stay safe out there, folks. Gotham is not a place to be after dark.